What's going on, everyone? Welcome back to another Serious Angler Tuesday Night Live powered by our good friends over at X2 Power. As you can see, it is just I tonight as Bailey is down in Louisiana fishing, I believe, for $50,000 in the Hobie BOS on Lake Cotto. Um, wish him the best of luck and hopefully he comes down with some more hardware back up here to New York. I don't think the Southern boys like it when he goes down there and wins tournaments, but it's quite awesome. Another side note, um, Adam Deacon just had Pete Gluzak on business from the bass boat. That episode was launched yesterday talking about bass university. So make sure you go and check that out. But tonight we have an awesome episode for you. We have my good friend, Paul Castellano on, which is a premier guide service over in Southern Ontario, about 10 minutes across the border from me here in Buffalo. And we are we are going to be talking about late fall smallmouth fishing. And it's kind of funny because both of our smallmouth seasons basically are done at this point because we are both transitioning into Great Lakes steelhead, lake trout, and brown trout fishing. So, but without further ado, let's get Paul on and see what's going on. What's up, man? How you doing? Hey, buddy. How are you? Hey, guys. How's everyone doing? Yeah. Yeah, good. So uh, last day of bass fishing for you today as we were talking offline. How do you feel about that? Uh, it's like, you know, it's one of those things, like you said, it's the transition. I'm going to be, you know, focusing a lot more on trout and less on bass. But it really, the sad part is, you know, I've considered, um, I've considered switching over where I don't start my trout trips until December 1st because I think November and the late season um is is the best one of yeah. the best if the weather will let you get out there like our water today andrew was 40 or 54 yeah and Which some is... of the bet yeah like it's still pretty warm yeah right and some of the yeah. best smallmouth fishing that that i've experienced is when that water gets into that like upper to lower 40s yeah that's my absolute favorite time is like 48 yeah. like 45 to 48 i feel like is absolutely magical especially on the bigger lake over here, Lake Erie. It's yeah, just I agree. They start grouping up so tight, and you can catch them literally by like the hundreds some days. So it's quite sad that we're coming like but into it's the exciting too. Yeah, it's been a great it's been a great season, right? There's been a lot of a lot of highs and lows throughout the year with yeah. like where they move and how to catch them and the ones you land, the ones you lose. So and no complaints. Yeah. Do you feel like? With all the new technology and sonar, like Mega Live, for instance, is changing the way um, fish react and act on the bottom. Well, I, I'm pretty late. I'm pretty late to the party. Like, I still don't have any form of live. Yeah. Um, I've I've used it in other friends' boats. I've used it ice fishing, so I see the potential of it. Uh, I can see myself and and hope to you know update some of my my electronics but i really can't answer that fairly because i haven't uh i haven't personally used it for guiding or you know enough on my own maybe only 10 hours i've used it yeah um you can definitely see you know just through conversations and friends sharing photos how they're you know upping their game um staying longer catching more from areas or at least you know identifying that the spot's worth more time Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so yeah, there's like, I think you're at a disadvantage as a guide or a tournament angler, you know, if you can afford it, you're at a disadvantage if you don't have it. Yeah. And I agree completely. As soon as I got it on my new boat, as I, we had this conversation, it completely changed 
the way that I target smallmouth, like out on Lake Erie. It's crazy. Like I pull up to like random boulders that I had marked that I, when I would scan with like 2d and down imaging and I can throw a cast in there and on 2d, you won't see it until like, it's too late. You throw it in there on mega live and you'll see that smallmouth or whatever's there. Come out and look at your bait and never see it on 2d. It's I'm I'm crazy. Yeah. Yeah, I'm excited. You mentioned bottom, you know, bottom related fish, but like the whole suspended, you know, fish that's chasing, you know, bait fish like that. That's what really intrigues me about the, uh, the live sonars. Yeah. It's, um, a crazy story real fast. I was fishing a tournament last September with Destin to Mary and we're on his boat and he had the Garmin unit and we're fishing a super deep spot that I've caught fish on rock piles and like 55 foot of water on Erie. And all of a sudden I look on live and there's a small mouth, literally three foot underneath the trolling oh, wow. motor for no huh. reason. So I literally dropped my drop shot down and it chased it all the way to the bottom and ate it. And it was wow. like a four and a half pounder. But you would never, never without that, you never yeah. would have seen that fish. Never. No, then, I, I think it's, I think, I don't know like how much you want to talk about it. I think just because I don't have the experience yeah. that you have or some of the other anglers, but just the little bit of insight that I've seen and, and what I've heard from friends, it's, it's really, you know, it's really changing how they approach smallmouth you know, how they look for them and then definitely how they, how they target them. Yeah, I, I, I agree. So, but we're going to digress here and kind of move actually into the show topic now. Right. And sure. Ventured new to the show, Paul. <laughs> um, one thing that our viewers like to hear is the story of you and how you started fishing. So kind of jump yeah. back into the past who got Ooh, you into fishing back maybe remember the first species of fish you got and how it changed your life forever. Okay. Um, Well, for those that don't know, my family has always been heavily involved in fishing. So I was very fortunate that way. Growing up, my dad was really into steelhead fishing and walleye fishing. Um, So I, those were my earliest memories where, you know, I've got photos and, and vivid memories of like, you know, three, four years old tying row bags and, you know, trying to go fishing with him when I could. And he always made time to take me fishing. Um, but it really started for me, you know, somewhere around, I would say six or seven, my dad started doing competitive bass and walleye tournaments. So we would do the shore trout fishing stuff and a little bit of trolling for trout. But then I was able to start pre-fishing with them at a young age. So I was learning all these, you know, how to drive a boat and, you know, how to use electronics at a, at a very young age and, and how to, try to eliminate water and, and find productive water and, you know, experiment with different lures. So um, it, it's really been going on since the age of three, four years old. Uh, my dad was not a fishing guide and he wasn't a full-time tournament angler. He was a real estate agent, but always made time to take me. Uh, and I have an older brother, 11 years older than me. Um, so those are, those are my memories of my father and my brother taking me um, the first fish. My dad tells me the first fish that really messed me up is he brought me to a trout pond and I caught a carp. And it was a bigger fish. Yeah. And I was like, yeah. And I was four years old. No, I've, but I've always had a passion for carbs. So, yeah. um, you know, so I think that's, that's when it really started was, and, and a big part of it was, I remember always wanted to go with them and I was too little because it was too cold to go like fall steelheading. Mm-hmm. So I, I just remember that, you know, that like, geez, I really want to be a part of this. And then, and then, you know, having the opportunities I got older to go quite, quite often. Yeah. So way back, way back. It's always been a big part of, you know, you know, uh, my life. 
So do you remember that first tournament that you fished with your dad? I do. I do. I remember you had to be 15 years old. And my dad, I'll back up just a bit. He told me like at age eight years old, you know, he said, Paul, if you're going to fish tournaments with me, you have to learn to cast. And he would make me cast in the house in the winter or in the summer for 30 minutes a day. And they had this old school cabinet with like record slots, three on this side, three on that side. And I used to have to cast into each slot, right? Walk around and cast. So it started then. And then at age 15, you know, I pre-fished with them up till then. We did our first tournament on Long Point Bay, which is a part of, part of Lake Erie, right? And we actually cashed a check and I still have the plaque to this day. And that's, that's really like from the age of, you know, 15 to probably 25, I was, I was pretty into it. Like I was really like, they're all small tournaments, local stuff, you know, club tournaments, that kind of stuff. But it was, it was great. It was like kind of the foundation, so to speak, like this pre-fishing and learning to look for fish and eliminating water of, of what I do now full time yeah. guiding. Yeah. So how did you get, how did you turn from just like, a passionate angler into a guide. So if you oh, want to man. go into that story a little bit. Uh, yeah, sure. Of course. I, um, I was 17 years old and I got a, a guy named Denny Leeson, who's no longer here, but he was a very uh, accomplished, you know, Ontario Canadian tournament angler, father and son from Denny and Bruce Leeson. Uh, they won all kinds of tournaments, mm-hmm. but he got me a job at Kasagami Lodge when I was 17 years old. And I actually flew out there and I was up there for three and a half months, but I was a dockhand. They wouldn't let me guide. I was too young, but Denny, so I was doing everything, you know, the boats, the planes, you know, and I got to fish quite a bit. Um, but on my, um, there was a couple of occasions where Denny had taken me out with him to shadow him on guide trips. So at 17, I got my first taste of a day on the, the guide boat. And that's when I, that's when I knew I was like, geez, this, this is something that I really love. And I'd, I'd love to do it more, but I never, you know, I never thought that it would be a full-time thing. I thought this would be really cool if I could do this once in a while or on weekends. So it started um from working that summer at Kasagami Lodge awesome and then how long have you been full-time guiding for basically since like 20 years old I'm assuming um no well I kind of dabbled with it from the ages of 18 to 24 and 24 is when I started cast adventures Mm -hmm. and then the first couple of years it was you know like it was a part-time thing that I never thought would be full-time so I want to say it was 26 years old 27 years old, I was, that's when I was full-time. I had enough clients, I had enough trips and enough repeats that I, I had to make that transition where it was like, geez, if I'm going to do this, I got to give it a shot and, and go all in. Yeah. And that's, and that's it. That's never look back. And now how many years are you into being a full-time guide? Well, I'm 45 now. So, and, yeah, so you know, 20, so almost 20. Almost 20 years. Yeah. That's, I started Cast awesome. Adventures at, at 20, at 24 years old. So, you know, highs and lows, it's not the, I wouldn't say it's the it's the most uh, it's the easiest way to make a living or or to you know support your family, but uh, I wouldn't change it for anything. Hey, if you're happy doing what you do, you're not really working, right? <laughs> so, <I am. laughs> and then you get some pretty awesome people to come on your boat and I do. test products I, out, and that's yeah, awesome. I, I do over the years that you know, like they they become friends, right? And there's people that have been coming out with me. There's families they've been coming out with me for you know 18 years, 20 yeah. years. 17 years right so and then there's lots of like you know uh yesterday i had a, a couple from alberta yeah. that i'd never met and it was it was fantastic right so it's, it's it's a mix of repeats and then you know new new people yeah so that that's what it's all about right like as yeah. you know as our, all of our listeners here know i, I started full-time guiding like a year ago and 
I'm glad I don't have to compete against you really in like the guide business market. So it's not even like that. Though. I know. It's, I'm just it's, saying, it's I'm not, just saying it's not, it's, <laughs> it's not even like that. I think there's, yeah. you know, if you're good at what you do and, and you work hard and, and you're honest with people up front and they recognize that, you know, that it, it just, it's going to fall into place. Like, yeah. I don't think it's a marketing thing. I don't think it's a, you know, a lot of it's word of mouth and, yeah. you know, repeat clients kind of speak for themselves. But Absolutely. as far as like trying to outmarket the other guy, then that's that's something I don't really. Oh, I wasn't saying like you know, outmarket. I just don't want to yeah. share water with you because I, oh, I don't know. Oh, jeez, I don't know. You guys, you, <laughs> you, 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 you seem you seem to do just okay. I will say this: it's a very humbling career. Oh too. yeah. You, can, you know, you gotta you you can't think you're on top of things all the time because that's usually when they move. Yeah. Or something changes, or the or the wind's different. Oh, so yeah. I've I've learned to you know that that slice of humble pie is is always there yeah but you know what a lot of the clients will say a bad day on the water still good better than a good day at work so absolutely there's always a happy ending right so absolutely uh, well let's jump into what all everyone here tuning in wants to hear about and that's late fall smallmouth fishing on the great lakes and we're not pinpointing one singular lake it's just general great lake talks so when we're targeting these late fall smallmouth but like november going into december so late fall almost winter mm-hmm. time where do you start to look for these fish paul Whew. well that's you know it really depends on on what the wind was doing leading up to that day um what the conditions are because like there's times where you can find smallmouth still in you know less than 10 feet of water this time of year with 54 mm-hmm. degree temps but typically what i'm looking for you know you're talking november and, and dropping temperatures is it's all about that forage you know, where are they, where are they setting up for the winter? The, the, I find personally when the water's still in the mid fifties, these fish are on the move, you know, they're in areas they're set. Some are setting up where they're going to be, but there's fish that were here today, gone tomorrow. Mm-hmm. And I do find in the great lakes, um, there's, there's one thing that I've learned over the years through people sharing information with me and just my own experiences. There's so much to do with current, the great lakes. I'm sure a lot of you know this, but for those that don't, there's so much current that and I'm not talking Niagara River. I'm talking like out in the lake. Like everything is draining. Everything is 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 going in that that direction. And I find that the bait fish will relate to that current, and also in some of the areas, the smallmouth will set up and just wait for that bait to come to them. So, where do I look? Well, you know, there's a point where the fish seem to move from that really hard bottom rock. And, and they love that and they'll use that, but they start to slide onto those transitions. They start to slide onto those mud and those sand transitions. So, you know, the other, the last time I was on Erie, which was, which was last week, um, you know, we checked out some sandy bottom areas, but it was still all about the hard bottom, like the hard rocky bottoms. But they, the similarities with the areas that had fish, there was, there was bait fish present, mm-hmm. you know, and the fish were like putting on the feet and not just, not just like, I'm assuming emerald shiners is what I was seeing on my graph. But there's gobies, and there's emeralds, and there's crayfish that they were all relating to. But it seems like my my hunt usually is where are those fish that are really targeting those you know those shiners, or those spot tails, or those alewives, right? Or the baby gizzard chads. Those are the ones because when you find those, like they, they like to snap, they like to eat, but they're not like without live. A lot of times I'm finding bait and I'm guessing. You know I see fish on the two D you know, or on the down imaging or on the side imaging, and then I'm kind of fishing those areas. So I'm fishing traditionally, you know, that water that's anywhere from like 25 to 45, 
I know there's fish deeper, but I've had, I personally don't like to fish too deep if I don't have to, because I've had some like misfortunes with fish deeper than 50 feet of water where they just don't do well. They don't seem to like it. So I, you know, the last time I was on Erie, our best bite, you know, we found, we found fish in 27, we found fish in 33, but that 40 to 45 foot zone that had, you know, it was a hard bottom that went into a, like a mud transition. There were so many fish and they were coming. You could tell, like you, you wouldn't see them. And then you'd have like a half an hour later, you'd have like a wicked flurry. So you could tell that the fish were, and again, the spot had current. It was, it was like a main lake point. It had, it had current. So these fish were, I don't know if they were just following bait there or they were headed to a place where they're, they're setting up next to feed, but that's typically what I look for. I look for bait fish on my graph. I look for those transitions and I, and I will, I will switch over to that softer bottom when it gets colder, but for the most part, like I'm looking for those transitions and I'm exploring on top of the hard stuff still. Yeah. And I, I mean, personally experience like I agree completely it's kind of crazy like I've been out in that same time frame on Erie now that I'm like steelhead guiding it seems every day but I was actually finding fish with perch on like the sand mud that sandy mud line transitions but the key is the same thing there had to be bait present yeah because they were chasing like something yeah and I had mega live I could actually see smallmouth rise up out of the perch schools and chase that's pretty cool bait around i'm like oh they're gonna eat a swim bait like is kind of crazy and that's how we were catching blade baits and swim baits in 55 degree water and the blade for me that's, that's warm bite. but it's yeah great like i love that's it when it's in that 45 to 48 degree for that blade bait to really really get I going i agree i think the cool thing about the great lakes is there's not just one pattern like there's so many different things that an angler can do like you can do that those fish that are chasing the perch, like you can fish, you could force a shallow bite with jerk bait still. Yeah. Like you can, you can throw crank bait still. Like if you want to fish drop shots in, in, in 50 feet, you can, you want to rip spoons or blade baits, you can. So that's the cool thing is kind of, you know, sometimes it's nice to fish outside of your comfort. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, if the, if the conditions will let you, that's usually the challenge to move around. Cause sometimes when it's wavy, you got to kind of pick an area and work it and it is what it is. But if it's calm, it's, it's nice to, you know, bebop around and, and check out different zones and, and give them different looks. It's yeah. always fun though in the fall if you can get fish to chase. Like you mentioned swim bait fishing. I don't think there's many people watching this that fish swim baits that don't like fish and swim baits. Like yeah. when smallmouth will eat a swim bait, it it's a fun bite. Like it doesn't get it doesn't get much better than, <laughs> other than top water or sight fishing maybe, but that swim bait bite's pretty pretty addictive. It, it's so kind of fun when you can get them yeah. to eat it on like a seven, six, like medium heavy yeah. with 12 pound test. And Abs- you're out there like 35 foot of water, slow crawling with like a half yeah. ounce head and your line jumps six feet. And you're like, Oh, I know what that is. <laughs> yeah. So if you can get fish that, that want to chase, that's, that's always a good time. Um, you know, so it's, it's, it really is right now. Like I find that 55 to four, like, it's a big transition between 55 yeah. and 45, the fish, like you'd mentioned earlier, they're still scattered. There's little wolf packs in areas. And then as it gets colder, they just kind of like everything kind of groups up and they just kind of feed like crazy. I find until it gets into the upper thirties and then they just kind of go dormant. Yeah. It's like really slow down. I feel like 36 is like that cutoff. They're done. And then, but if you they're find done. them, there's like <laughs> yeah. 10,000 of them in one school really and you can sl- catch them, but they fight yeah. like crap and the bite is yeah, so soft. Yeah, they don't. I don't do well in the low. I've caught them in the low thirties, like you mentioned there. But yeah. I, I find like once it gets around thirty eight, 
you know, like I will target them and yeah. I have, and I've caught them, but it's, it's a much slower, you know, it's gotta be the right condition. It helps if it's sunny. It helps if you could stay on top of them, yeah. you know, they Dude. take a little longer to bite. Sunny, uh, calm, no wind. Yeah. Right. Yeah. That's Just, a great, that's a great opportunity. It never happens in November, but that's great yeah. if you get or it. Or December. <laughs> like never. Yeah. But, um, so what do you find for them to start tightening up? in that fall, like late fall transition, what do you find is the magic water temp? For, for me, it's that 40 yeah. for really, again, you mentioned it it's somewhere between 46 and 44. That's when they like that. That's when they really like, it's like, it's kind of like a party, small yeah. mouth party, let's call it. Right. Like there's 10 <laughs> people at the party right now. Yeah. And then tomorrow there'll be 15 and the next day there'll be 40. And before you know it, you got 300 in the same general area because the amount of forage is there and they're just kind of yeah. setting up. Like we said, and they're going to go bonkers and, and and feed as much as they can until their metabolism just seems to like dip right down. Yeah, yeah. It, it's kind of fun though when they get into that quote unquote. We're going to call it Paul's smallmouth party, but mm-hmm. um, it's kind of fun when they get there because they just don't stop eating. I find when no. you, once they get in like that big lion group of smallmouth, like you can catch a hundred. I've known, I've had days out there where it's like 150 smallmouth on Erie and it's every cast. You gotta, you gotta watch. It can make your head swell a little bit and make you feel a little bit better than you really are. But in reality, they're so, they're so competitive and they're so focused on, on the the fish, right? Not just the anglers. They're so competitive with each other and they're so focused on just like bulking up for the fall, for the winter. Um, You're right. They eat like crazy. You know, the one thing about it though, like it's, I think the fall too is one of those times like people are putting their boats away. You got bad weather coming. So you do have to be really careful. Oh. Like just because it's calm this day, like the days leading up to it, you can have big rollers, big waves, the weather can change. So, but if your boat is still out and you haven't been out in late fall and fished when the water's in the 40, the 40s, it's, it's hands down one of the best bites of the year. Hands down. Cold and dangerous and, uh, but fun. Oh is- yeah. yeah. Well, like, like you got to just, common sense yeah. i think and you never know like you know the weather forecast is never right this time you could no, call for five like to ten southwest and you get on the lake and it's blowing 15 yeah. to 30 north and you're just like what the heck yeah it's it's tough <laughs> i can recall days in november where i was so pumped to get out there with guests and you know we, we launch and we're starting to drive out there and just the splash hitting you is freezing yeah and it's like okay we got to turn around and, and you know run into the river because it's a safety issue, right? Everything yeah. starts to freeze up. And, but on the other side, you know, we've had years where the water will stay in the 40s, like well into late December. Mm-hmm. You know, and the state of New York, you guys, your season's fantastic. You have that year-round season. Ontario, yeah. you know, we close at the end of this month. And there's some great fishing. If you can get out on the Canadian side, there's some great fishing this month. But on the American side, the New York State side, like that's when you have those years where it, it, it prolongs, it doesn't get cold too quick. It, it really is some of the best fishing of the year when you can get out. Yeah, I can recall days like the day after Christmas going out on Erie when the water's like 39, four, yeah. between that 39 and 42. And it, it takes a while to find them sometimes. But once you find them, it's just Donkey Kong. Like I've dunk. seen them in some weird spots. Like when the water gets cold like that, I've seen them where like, yes, they're still fish like up on that rock, like, you yeah. know, just kind of retaining heat or, or whatever it is that they're doing. But they, they, there's a lot of areas where there's like um, the bottom, at least in the eastern basin of Erie, there's a there's like a type of bottom that looks like a ruffled potato chip. Mm-hmm. 
it's like a it's like a wavy kind of like on your side imaging all of a sudden there's there's no other there's no structure it's a flat essentially but they they really love to lay up in that ripply sand the bottom of those little ripples is all gravel and they just kind of like they go right belly to the bottom or just off of that sand in the muck like you yeah. actually catch them you ever caught them late in the year and you notice they got mud on their bellies Oh yeah, the like the bellies like, are like brown yeah. and red and yeah. just like literally mud. Like you can yeah. rub mud off their bellies, right? So that's one thing. If you are out there and you're fishing your obvious shoals or your obvious community holes, you know, if it's a calm day, it's it's nice to explore around and get off that stuff because sometimes they're not far from that main structure, but they can be off of it two, three, four hundred yards, just laying on nothing. Really, just getting ready to win. There's obviously bait fish there, right? Another thing with that sand. I find that a lot of times the sand will run, you know, uh, like north, south, or east, west, and a lot of times those that bay fish will migrate. Like you'll see them swimming like the same routes that, that sand's on. So I think those fish just kind of sit there and wait for those big pods to come by and pick them off until it gets too cold. Opportunistic eaters. Yeah. Yeah. Small mouth to a T. Yeah. But uh, yeah, the whole mud point. Like once that water gets down like super late fall winter basically christmas time it's winter right i find most of the fish i catch when i can get out there with friends and stuff because by then my boats put away i have outdoor storage so i'll hop in someone else's boat and go out yep. we almost mm -hmm. always catch them in mud when it gets super yep. cold always yep. like i guess there's winter on it right i would imagine I, I think that's what it is but if it's sunny and calm then you can start finding them on like the shell or gravel beds yep. on that sand yep. chasing bait around because they just get warm. Like it's yep. crazy what sun will do Absolutely. to a late winter, like a late fall, early winter. And like not to like jump far ahead, but it's the same way like ice off in the spring. If you get a flat, calm, sunny day, I find those are like some of the best days as the water's warming early. For sure. Even we'll if it's muddy. Yep. It'll seek out that warmer water. Uh, absolutely. Like always, always look for the warmest shallow water you can find right after ISO. Cause it's amazing how many can pull up there, but then also I've seen this on Erie. So not to jump further, but I've seen the same thing where you'll get two days of flat, calm and sunny and you roll up into eight, 12 feet of water and it's full of giant fish. You go back a couple days later and they're completely gone, gone. Yeah. And they're just chasing bait around at that point. Yeah. It has yeah. to be. So Chris Flay, before we keep going here, has a question. Um, he wants to know what both of our top three baits are for Eastern Erie. And okay. I'm going to throw another wrinkle in for late fall. Okay. Me or you first? You, you can go first, Paul. You're okay, the guest. Top, top, top three baits, definitely uh, tube jig, jigging spoon, and swim bait. But I'm going to add something to that tube jig category. It's a bottom bait, football jig. Football yeah. jig, tube jig. Jigging spoon, swim bait. Those are yeah, my top three, Chris. That's fun. Um, I'm I'm very close. Like one thing I'll do with the swim bait a lot is it gets colder. I'll actually put it on a drop shot. So I'm gonna go like a yep. drop shot, but with a swim yep. bait on it or a flat worm, obviously, and then a yep. blade bait, and yep. then a jigging spoon because there's yep. just no better way than mimicking fun a minnow presentation this time of year. Yep. But for whatever yeah, reason. The two bait and a football jig just mimics those big crawfish. For some it's reason, they love those things. Of, something about the tube, the small the tube, the tube, right? Football yeah. jig. Oh, it's just the way it mucks on the. I think a lot of times too, smallmouth can be inactive but still pick up a bait to to check. If yeah. you have cats or anyone's seen cats, they like to like they'll play with like a string or they'll swat at stuff, 
And a lot of times I've seen small multiple, like they're super curious. They're like bullies and they'll pick up a bait or, or muck with a bait. And if anyone's done a lot of side fishing, you ever see like a small multiple actually turn down and look at stuff. Yeah. Or you've noticed you get, you get fish, right? So a lot of times, I don't know what it is about a tube, but a tube that's dragged on the bottom in the fall, if it's, you know, it's, it's as easy as it gets, right? If they want it, they, especially if there's a little chop, they eat it. Yeah. But if they don't want it, you ain't getting bit. <laughs> well, you got to go for me. But, but yeah. Again, I'm not, like, a, yeah. I'm a terrible tube fisherman. It is a lost uh, art for me. It, so. The tube is something like, uh, you know, it's been around. I remember my dad ordered gets it from yeah. California. I was, yeah. I was, I think it was eight years old the first time we had them. And they were like, they've been around for, for a very, very long time. Um, and they just, they just work wherever, wherever I've been on the Great Lakes, you know, the water is cold in the fall. Tubes are, are definitely a good bait to have. Yeah. And you've had a, you've had experience on quite a few of the Great Lakes at this point. You went out and fished sturgeon bay open right yeah. this past spring yeah. so it's pretty cool too which I is a completely was, different time of year but i was it was a beautiful place i was fortunate i got to fish with you know he's a he, his name's spencer sampolsky you know he's a full-time fishing guide um in that area so it, it was a huge advantage for me just to jump in you know his boat and basically take me to the fish spencer but um different fishery you know it was more of a shallow thing um you know we didn't fish deep much but it seemed like when we did fish deep it's like a walleye thing as opposed to a a, a small mouth thing at least for for us it was so i'm sure somebody's got a deep thing figured out but it seemed like most of the guys maybe because of the time of year and the water being so cold that most of the guys were fishing less than 15 feet of water oh that's kind of yeah that's cool yeah i would have never thought that honestly no like, it, I, it's different like i you know like it's it's uh you know in my mind i was like oh we're going to be fishing you know you know, 25 to 45 and we're going to be doing this. We're going to be doing that. And it was not like that at all. At least like during our practice and during the event, we did not, we did not fish deeper than 12 feet. Hmm. That sounds yeah. like my type of fishing. It was great. It was great. It's fun. A lot of fun. So I think we kind of covered this already, but Richard O'Malley wants to know if the schools are tight to the bottom, are you focusing on certain structure or searching for bait to find the schools? I mean, um, Richard, I think what I'm doing is I'm constantly trying to adjust, right? So I'm watching my side imaging. If you have it, huge help for structure, bait, and fish once you learn to read it. Um, and I'm always watching. I've got, you know, I've got split screen going. I'm always watching my, you know, my down imaging and my 2D. A lot of times we're dropping on fish that we see. I don't have any of this forward-facing sonar or, or live. So I'm, I'm constantly watching my electronics that I do have. And there's a big difference too. If I'm at the front of the boat, I use, I have a setting where I put, you know, the front transducer and the back transducer, because sometimes I'll just be putting along or creeping along a, the bottom and I'll see fish at the back of the boat and I can flip back to the back. So electronics are really good for picking off stuff. And then I'm just kind of making, I make short pitches a lot with drop shots or with tubes or with football heads. Um, you know, so a lot of times, I'm using um, my electronics and and kind of just picking fish off as I go. Really, yeah, just constantly changing up to see what they want. Yeah, really, like yeah. To add on to that. It, it's I like your point that you made about running two different like the settings with hummingbirds when they're all linked together. Yeah. You can run front and back. I basically yeah. do the same thing. I don't have 360 on my boat, so 
Like on my second graph with Mega Live on the one, on my second Helix 12, I'll actually have my GPS moved real small on the left so I can see my waypoints within like a 50 foot parameter. And I'll run the same thing 2D on the bow and down imaging on the back so I can see what's going on in the back. And if I see them pop without turning my trolling motor, it's a quick pitch. It's super yeah. effective way I, to catch them. I just want to add one thing that there for Richard. You know, the other thing too, I, I is if it's calm enough, Richard, I idle around a lot. Yeah. And I literally just, cause it's like, once you start to see them, you know, like in the fall, when you find fish, they're there for a reason, right? They're there to feed before winter, before it gets too cold. And there's a good chance there's more. So, you know, I'll, I'll kind of idle around the structure or they are just off the structure. Wait till I actually physically see fish on my side imaging. And then I'll put my trolling motor down and then just kind of dissect it from there. That's a great point. Yeah. Because you can waste a lot of time just casting, right? Before yeah. you. Oh, yeah. 100%. Like yeah. that's one of the biggest things that I would say about the fall. If you sit in an area and you don't get bit and you stay there, you're not going to get bit. Yeah. Usually. Yeah. You have to go find them and constantly stay out. I'm always that. moving. I'm a pretty, you know, hyper guy. As you yeah. can see, right? so I'm, always, yeah, I'm, always, I'm always moving, right? Like it's usually yeah. a lot of things, a lot of times too, if it helps anyone, you know, I, I like to give, like, if you have two anglers or three anglers fishing an area within 15 minutes, if you're not seeing fish on your graph or getting the odd bite or getting the odd fish, it's okay to move. And sometimes when I move, I don't move far. Like I might only move a hundred feet or, or 75 feet or, or, or 50 yards. Right. But little moves within an area every 15 minutes that helps like in my world it's all about like i i'm not i'm not a tournament angler right like i don't think i'm a tournament angler but i'm always trying to get bites i'm always looking for fish and the big fish just seem to come for me right like we like i'm happy catching twos and threes and, and fours like i don't like and most people are too right um but i i like i like that rule a lot give an area that 10 15 20 minutes make a little adjustment usually within 15 minutes 20 minutes 10 minutes if you're in an area that's got fish that are biting uh, and a couple of anglers are fishing, you should know. Like, they should let you know. If not, you got you got to make an adjustment or a little move. Yeah, and I think that's a great point that you made there as well. Like, don't, you don't have to move very far to find no. fish, especially this time of year. And that was going to be the next thing I wanted to talk about is, like, do you feel that smallmouth as we're getting into, like, this winter mode, especially on, like, the Eastern Atlantic Great, Lake Erie, I find they historically go to the same areas, but they might not be in the same spot, but it'll be generally yeah. like that flat off of main lake point. Do you think it sets up similarly on all of the Great Lakes from That's your experience? Um, well, like my experience, with, like I fish Lake Ontario a lot at this end and uh, Lake Erie a lot. I think they fish completely different Yeah, in, in my opinion, right? They, they really do. So, but as far as Lake Erie goes, it seems like there's zones, call it like maybe five or six zones, mm -hmm. so to speak, that it's like, if, if they're anywhere, they're in these zones that time of year. Right. And they're not really secret. A lot of them are obvious structure that you see like on yeah. the map and there's secondary stuff. that's a little bit more sneaky that takes some time. You either see other boats there or you, you stumble across it, or you just, you know, you learn it from a friend, but you really can't go wrong. Um, uh, lake erie anyway in the eastern basin like fish the obvious structure and yeah. go from there it, it really there's not much of it on the map but there's stuff on the canadian side that's very obvious stuff that's protruding way out into the lake um main lake humps 
Um, you know, but do all the Great Lakes set up? Uh, I, I can't, I haven't spent enough time in late season on the other ones to really answer that yeah. fairly. But I would say this, they're all, they're all bass are bass wherever I've been. And it's all about bulking up and, and feeding um, and, and being close to where they want to winter. Yeah. So it sounds like, like the best thing to do, obviously, in all situations of fishing is to do your homework and then just yeah. graph a little bit. Like, don't go in and just start fishing. You really need to sit behind the driver's seat and yep. find them. And if you I, have electron, yeah, if you have electron. And it's nice sometimes, too, to get away. I do find that one of the things that helps me a lot is I, I try to – not like sometimes there's community holes and you, and you get in there and fish them. But I, I, I seem to, I like, I do better when I just kind of get away from the boats and find my own thing, mm-hmm. you know? So it's, you know, you can go where there's boats and there's nothing wrong with that. Cause some of the areas that's where you gotta be. That's those are the areas. But sometimes the most rewarding part about it in the fall is when you kind of put your time in, like you said, idle around, find something like find a moment then right there. Like don't, don't think like, because you were there a week ago, it's going to be exactly the same. Like it might be, but it's nice to kind of figure out what's happening in that moment and then adjust as you go. Yeah. They're in there and backing up just a little bit in that little spot that you have, they could be 15 feet away or a hundred feet away. Yeah. If you don't idle, you'll never know it. If yeah. you're just spot checking and like, sometimes what I'll do is like, if we're on, if we're fishing like long flats out on the lake, I'll actually at that point, because I'm not a big drift fisherman. I'm a very like honed in spot person type mm-hmm. fisherman. Even when I'm guiding, it's the same thing. I'll spot lock in two foot waves and fish a very particular spot. But yeah. like in the instance, if I'm dragging something, I'm like, you know what? They won't eat right on a spot and I want to drag. Then I will d- drift an area. But I'm always watching like my side scan because if you're drifting fast enough, it will read. And if you see them, yep. make sure you hit a waypoint and circle around and Absolutely. really pick that area apart. You always have to pay attention. Yeah. To, I, you know, to, add, to add to the dragging thing, I've seen where like this, like a bait that's constantly drag and making contact with the bottom, like the noise. Yeah. It's amazing how sound travels underwater. I'm sure a lot of you already know this. But for those that don't, it's it's unbelievable how much noise your jig head can make hitting hard bottom so sometimes smallmouth i've seen where you mark them you drop drop shots on them you rip spoons and they don't touch it but you get a bait that's like a football jig i my, my favorite right now has been that you know nishini lure works finesse football jig he's got a half ounce model a three eighths and a three quarter ounce and i tip that with a yamamoto single tail or double tail four inch grub that thing is magic that that tail mm. starts swirling like this and, and the baits hitting the bottom making contact but that kind constant, of wobbling yeah that constant popping. speed of dragging i think they follow it sometimes for a while and you know and, and you know you open your bail it stops the bait you close your bail it starts to move again you give it a pop that dragging in the fall you know with a drift sock or even just your trolling motor but there's something about a certain speed like figuring out what speed your bait has to drag that can turn fish that aren't looking to bite stationary baits like you said, or, or casting baits, sometimes the drag or the, or the, you know, using your trolling motor to create that speed is like everything. Yeah. The, the last time I was on Erie, it was relatively calm and the winds were dropping and there was like leftover waves. And when we dialed in that, we started, we started drop shotting and we started doing that and we picked off some fish and we marked a ton of fish that just would not bite. Like they were, or we'd get like a few out of the school and then, and they were smaller. As soon as we started dragging that machine lure works football head, 
at a certain, and, and I'll leave that up to you, but I find it's anywhere between 0.5 and it could be as fast as 1.1, depending no. on the bait you're using, right? But that, that was everything. Once we figured out that speed and had that bait constantly clacking on the bottom, it, it was like a completely different day. So like keeping an open mind and, and adjusting. Um, I love the spot lock. I love to cast to isolated structure. It's fantastic. But I've also seen where you have to set up and use the wind to your advantage or your trolling motor and drift like an area. Yeah. You know, and sometimes you've got a considerable amount of line out, like more than you'd think. Like you're, oh. you're dumping out oh. half a spool of line out. Oh, that's the worst. Yeah. And when you open that spool and it's like 150 feet away or, well, it's yeah. like 350 feet away because you're on the drag and you go to close it and all of a sudden you're like, oh gosh, it's heavy because they ate it when you stop. It's a, a good, good problem, problem to have. have but... Yeah, that's a great problem to have. Yeah. <laughs> you're just like, that, that's oh. a really good one. The stop, the stop and go with the, like opening your bail and stopping it because even a lighter head being dragged in three foot waves, if you open your yeah. bail, it stops, it stops dead. And a lot of times that gives it just enough doesn't matter what it is ned rig tube jig whatever like it doesn't matter it stops that bait gives them a chance to look at it and you close your bait the boat moves and the bait goes again a lot of times they'll jump on it right there mm -hmm. so yeah here's an interesting question from chris flay do you think the east end of erie will produce a 10 pound small whoa chris tomorrow's the day tomorrow's <laughs> the day no i don't know that's pretty that's pretty big man i don't yeah. know like i I, I, I've been fortunate the first time I, I was brought to Lake Erie and fished smallmouth. I was 15 years old in your, in your trophy season in New York. Yeah. And we've seen a lot of fish over the years, but it, it is hard to catch a true seven pounder in the Eastern basin. Yes. Yeah. They're here. Yes. We've caught them. Guests have caught them, but overall it seems like a 10 pounder. I think it's possible, but I don't know, man. Like that's a, that's a huge, huge fish. Like, I don't know. I don't know too many people like you hear you hear stories of guys that catch these nine pounders perch fishing but are they really nine pounds i don't know right <sighs> my, my biggest yeah like it's i think it's possible of course it's possible because because a 10 pounder came from lake erie but i don't know it just seems like there's lakes that just produce bigger year classes than the eastern basin like there's six pounders and there's seven pounders and heck there's probably eight pounders you know kicking around but you just you don't see many fish over seven pounds, and I'm sure a lot of you can agree in the eastern basin of Lake Erie. Now, my biggest theory on that, and why we have so many like three to four and a half pound fish, but like once you get over that five and a half to like six and a half, the, like yeah. the numbers really start dwindling. I think it's because of how much current that people don't realize that we have in the eastern end, and the fish. Are, have such a high metabolism they literally burn off whatever they eat all the time because the prevailing wind is constantly speeding up yeah, that maybe, current maybe. first of all and then yeah. it's already insanely quick as it is but uh bradley holman is chiming in here paul he wants to know is that nishini jig no. tungsten no it's lead it's lead right. but the that what's you know the tube jig obviously has the has the, the plastic uh you know encasing the the jig head and you know all football jigs but the nishini the lead is exposed it, it is in tungsten so it's it's uh and it's got a really unique uh uh head design like it actually like if you have slack line and then go tight and then go slack and then go tight you can leave your your jig in one spot and kick the tail up but it's just lead but it's uh you know it's exposed lead so it, it's got a great sound when it's clacking on the bottom and it's got a really cool um unique rocking 
you know, feature on it just by pulling it forward. The other thing that took me years, I'm, I, Hiroshi's a really good friend of mine and we were constantly testing lures together and, and coming up with ideas. You know, it took me a long time to accept this, but that football jig fished with a snap is, is hands down better than tying it direct. I do <laughs> not like snaps. I do not like snaps for a lot of things, but the, the main point with that that I've seen is because of the way that that jig rocks and rolls, um, a lot of times it's getting directly exposed to zebra mussels and the snap actually helps protect a little bit from zebra mussels. So it took me a couple of years to accept that, but I fished that jig on a snap 99% of the time. And heavier line, don't muck around with light line. You can use 16 or, or you know 12 pound, 14 pound line with that, like leader material, no problem. Yeah, is there any better feeling than catching a giant smallmouth on a football jig in like forty it's foot awesome. of water? Honestly, it's great. like it's no, one it's of great. my favorite ways to catch them. <laughs> yeah, no, it's fantastic. It's fantastic. Yeah, I agree. That snap thing, though, like that intrigues me. I am like anti-snap on everything unless like yeah. it absolutely needs it for like a big glide yeah. bait or something. I'm like, ooh, I just don't it, trust it, them. It, uh, <laughs> I, I would say uh, a, a good quality snap, like, and he's got some, like, you know, they've got some great ones. Um, it, it's worth you experimenting yourself. Yeah. You know, you may disagree after a year of testing, but this is like countless hours of testing it before it was available. And, and even still, like today we caught, we caught fish with the football jig. Um, and it was like the snap is, it's just how we fish it. I wonder too, like if that snap, is what allows it to have that true secondary action of when you pop it. If like, that's what's helping it kind of rock and list a little bit more. Yeah, I, I don't know. Like I just, I just lose less of them. They're, they're expensive little buggers, right? Yeah. Like you're, you're kind of selective where you throw them. Yeah. Cause they do, they do snag. Right. But uh, it, it's something that I would say it's worth experimenting. You know, I would, I'm thinking the same thing. I thought the same thing. A lot of you are, are probably thinking by listening to this. But it's uh, it's it's definitely a bait that with the snap seems to improve my catch rate. <laughs> yeah. yeah, he's chiny. He's chiming in here in the comments. Yes, hi Hiroshi. <laughs> <laughs> he's really right. Fun. Yeah. Oh man, it's um, it's wild. So Adam uh, Nap has a question for you here, Paul. Do you use the Nishini smelt heads for smallmouth, or do you mostly use them float fishing? for steelhead no no it's it's one of my the, my two go-to's in the fall are that finesse football jig and the smelt head yeah for smallmouth so no it's it's not something i use i use the five eights and the three seven he's got unique sizes right but the five eights is the heavier model that he has the current heavier model that he has um and it's great because i can fish it as deep as 45 feet cast it out like a long cast let it sink i close my bail let it sink on a tight line, hit the bottom. You see your line go slack and I just, I just roll it home, right? I like to fish it through the column. I get about halfway. I kill it, let it go back down and then I wind it again. And then the other way is I'll fish it on the bottom. So I'll make a super long cast and just kind of keep it. So it's just ticking bottom. And in times we drag it, but no, it's the, the, the Nishini uh, smelt head is fantastic. Both the four odd and two odd. A lot of times I fish it with a Kitek. You know the easy shiner kitek or a, a fat impact um kind of a you know and a, a four inch five inch you know uh easy shiners and the same like the anything from a 3.3 to a 4.8 a lot of times those are those are like my go-to's for really and a lot of my guests their biggest smallmouth they've ever caught or the biggest smallmouth of the year is on that smell tip 
Yeah, I believe it. There's just yeah. something about giant smallmouth in a swim bait with yeah. the right jig head. Because every jig yeah. head is truly getting like the overlook aspects of swim bait fishing. Every jig head you put on, it's going to give that swim bait a different secondary action. How much yeah. it lists and rolls or yeah. cups or cover. Like there's so many different heads on there. And I find there's only like two or three good ones, but they're all good for something mm -hmm. different. That smelt head too. Another really good late season smallmouth technique is I'll put a fluke on it. Mm. Literally put a fluke. I do. So I trim it a like bit. Snap yeah, it a little bit. Well, we. You know what? It's it's a pretty cool technique. So you, you if you see fish laying right on the bottom, I'll put it over their head so they've got to come up on. They love to feed upright. They love to see something isolated above them and dart yeah. up and grab it. So I'll put that. A lot of times, what I do is I'll drop it to the bottom and I'll do like one crank of the reel or two cranks of the reel or three cranks of the reel and just leave it and just shake my rod tip huh. and just glide so it. Shake you're my basically rod like demikiing with the small 100%. Yeah. yeah, it's something we've been doing. Like literally learned it from Al Linder on in Fisherman when we were kids. And it's been something that we, and then the smelted came along, but the smelted gives you, it's got a really cool eye and it gives you like a perfect horizontal presentation. So either swim bait like that or some type of fork tail fluke or power minnow whatever, but that is a deadly, deadly late season smallmouth technique, especially for bigger fish, yeah. that bigger swim bait, that bigger fluke. A lot of times that's how we provoke our bigger bites. You are going to love mega live or any type of form facing <laughs> that you I end know. up putting on your boat. Like I'm pretty sure you're going to go mega live just because yes, of the hummingbird, hummingbird and everything. But like, yeah. If you can, once you figure out like the settings to get it dialed in, you can even tight line that bugger, like throw it out like 30 feet from the boat. If you're in 33 foot of water and you can see it and then just I'm close excited. your bail and let it just swing down. And I've yeah. gotten them to come up actually on Erie tight lining in like 40 foot of water, cast it out with my mega oh. live queen tongues. Queen tackle makes a live sonar head. So it's all tungsten with a really thin gauge hook and I'll pitch yeah. it out there and close my bail and I'll let it swing down in front of me at mega live and I'll watch them come up. I haven't gotten to go on it, oh, but, but I'll watch them come up like 20 feet off the bottom and follow it back down to huh. like right underneath the trolling motor. And I'm like, I can't wait. One of I, these I, days I, I, they're going to eat I, it. And I'm like, now I know when to use it. <laughs> You need to, you need to get you need to get yourself some of those smelt heads. Oh, absolutely! I mean, <laughs> we're bass fishermen. We love all all tackle. So I'm, I always look at them and I'm like, I don't know anyone who uses them really, and I've seen you use them. And but I'm like, it's Paul. Paul can catch fish in a puddle with that thing. No, so. no, no. Like, that, like this is like years of testing, yeah. and and I can't tell you how many clients like it's their go to guide heads for me with with a yeah. like I said that fork tail or a swim bait. We use them for trout. We use them for everything. We catch walleye on them. But this, that, that's the smallmouth, you know, in the last few seasons anyway, like, I mean, like we haven't been using swim baits that long. I think since like maybe 2013, yeah, 2012, we started, like that's when it really started, you know, like it was the X-Zone uh, Swammers were the first ones that we got our hands on, right? Mm. And then and then it was like, you know, Kytex and, you know, but it's, it's uh it's definitely a big fish bait it's fun to fish you can use spinning or bait casting you can use straight fluoro you can use braid to fluoro you can fish it shallow you can fish it deep but it's like the big fish are putting the feet on they're not afraid to eat a perch they're not afraid to eat a bigger bait you know and and at times like if someone's like i, I really want to try to catch my pb you know i'll cycle through a certain baits but that that swim bait is always on the deck always yeah. It, it just seems like if they won't bite anything else, they'll eat that 
Or yep. if they're if you want to just catch numbers for whatever reason, like yep. which that's not fun at all. They'll always eat a swim bait, always. <laughs> yeah. So you yeah. get it's the best of both worlds. You can get hundreds of bites in a week or catch the biggest one yeah. of the day. And a lot of times to get the bigger bite, and you can correct me if I'm wrong here, it's either going up in size or slightly smaller than what you're catching totally. the numbers on. And then it's just yep. sometimes it's just a minute color adjustment in the same yep. color palette. It's, There's an element of luck. I'd rather yeah. be lucky with big fish for real. Because yeah. I do think like a four pounder and a, and a six pounder and that in the fall, they, they bite the same. They live uh, together. But, uh, like Yeah. Yeah. But a hundred percent agree with you. Sometimes they want a little teeny drop shot, you know, just held there. And sometimes they want like a 4.8 crashed in the bottom on a, you know, on a big head. Right. So yeah. it's, you know, it's definitely smart to, to fish both. Yeah. I, I couldn't, I couldn't disagree with you. So, which, <laughs> which is great. So, but, uh, Paul, is there anything else you want to touch on? We didn't talk any river smallmouth fishing, which was kind of no. crazy as we live by one of the biggest, deep, probably one of the fastest river systems in like the Great Lakes. But I mean, I think we covered a lot of like the deep stuff, which is really cool. So before we, I hit you with the last question. Is there anything else that you want to cover? Oh, like it's it's kind of like an open palette here, right? So if yeah. there's something somebody wants to ask or you want to ask, but no, I, I, I think I kind of covered like the forage part of it and, you know, some, some good little pointers there. You know, we could talk for three hours, oh, four hours. For sure. Easily, right? So if, let me ask you this one. If somebody wants to book a trip, if they're in like over in Ontario, Niagara Falls, Ontario yeah. area, how do they get a hold of you. You don't have to put your number in here. I'm linking all of your stuff below in the description of this, but how does somebody get a hold of you or where can they find you just so that you can find me at castadventures.ca or castadventures.com. All my information's there. My email, email is probably the best, you know, they can find me on, on Instagram or Facebook, but I would say the, the, the best way is send me an email. It's right on the cast adventures website and we'll go from there. Awesome. I hope uh, you pick up a couple trips from some people traveling over, over in Canada man. and you get to put them on some giant fish. So I'll do my best. Yeah. If I was coming <laughs> over, I would book a trip with you any day just because I know the, the knowledge I would learn from you. So, but I mean, I, I do enjoy like the little bit of a friendship that we do have. I feel Absolutely. like I could call you at any point and have a, if I Anytime. have a question, you'll help. So vice and, versa. Uh, you know, anytime the yeah. highlight of Paul, like just chatting our, our couple of year friendship here was this fall at the Canadian Tire when your daughter came out and fished with you. That was like, it's incredible. I, I came home and told my wife Amanda about it, and she's like, That is so good. I was like showing her the pictures and stuff. And she's like, What the heck? She's like, You're gonna be doing that with Emery in a couple of years. I'm like, Probably. <laughs> it, uh, it, it was, it was the best tournament that I've ever fished yeah. and, and I'm not taking anything away from fishing with my father. Cause you know, he may take offense to that, <laughs> but just the fact that, and it wasn't about winning. It was about yeah. spending a day with her in this tournament setting. Yeah. You know, obviously we tried our, we tried our best and we, and we, we caught some nice fish, right? We got yeah. completely crushed. I think we came in 38th or something, yeah. right? Which isn't bad, right? Yeah. Considering the conditions, conditions we had, we had six. It was pounds. wild. No, it was great. We had, we had oh. uh, four, three pounders and one, four pounder, but it was with my eight year old daughter. Yeah. Right. And she wants to do it again next year. And it was, uh, it was fantastic. So I highly recommend that if, you know, I, and, and it was one of those things where I had, I had two different offers from people that win tournaments and, you know, they're fantastic anglers and, you know, and I turned it down to, to fish with my daughter and, and no regrets whatsoever. Yeah. 
again, I'm not a big tournament guy. So to go out there with her and, you know, spend a day on the water doing uh, an event was, was, was awesome. Yeah. Now she's one for two. So her batting average came down, right? Like the oh, first yeah, right, tournament right. she ever fished, you won, I think. Well, she, <laughs> yes, there was, yes. The first tournament that we ever went into, she got first place and yeah. she won this little inflatable boat and she still talks about it all the time. She got a 552 smallmouth. It was just a one yeah. fish, one fish event, but she got a 552 smallmouth on a pink swim bait. Yeah. Just awesome. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's a way to hook her for life. She's going to be the yeah. next great cast adventures guide down the. If she wants to be, I won't force yeah. it, right? But if she wants to, there's lots to learn. Yeah, you never know. You never know where the world will take you. So, but uh, if nobody else has any questions here, I'll leave it open for a minute. Uh, but I'll hit you with the last question. If any questions come sure. through, we'll go. But so this one's a doozy. So if you have the chance and you can pick three people, from any time period of life. So you can go like before Christ with this. Oh boy. Who are the three people you're inviting to your dinner table to have a steak and a beer, whatever your preferred beverage is, and just have a conversation and why? For real? The yeah. Three people? Yeah. Three people. Ooh, outside be, of family? It could be anyone. It could be family. It could be literally anyone. Oh, I'm going to invite my dad for sure, just because the time we spent fishing and you know, the relationship we have. I don't think there's anyone I'd rather spend time with on the water or off the water than, than my dad. Um, that's a really good question. Wow. It's loaded. That's, that's why I can't yeah, tell you about like it. Because that's a tough one. I, that's I can't have one. you sitting there through the show be like, who are my three people going to be? Uh, so. <laughs> I don't know. You know what? I think it'd be fun to have at the same table. Uh, it, for and they could be fishermen politics. or not yeah. fishermen. So no, it could be literally fishermen. anyone. Yeah, I think it'd be fun to have Denny Brower yeah. and Mike Iconelli at the same table just because they don't like each other. And I think it'd be interesting <laughs> to hear Denny's perspective and Mike Iconelli's. Yeah. And... I don't know the third ang I, I'm going to just go with anglers. Right. And, and again, growing up watching, you know, Bassmasters, you know, and, and recording Bassmasters mm -hmm. and that stuff, I would, I would say younger KVD. Yeah. Obviously like those three. What there, a machine that guy was in his heyday. Yeah. It was oh. unbelievable. Was so ahead of his curve, right? Like yeah. so ahead of his curve. So I would think those three right now. And if I had to pick a fourth, my dad would be there too, just because he would enjoy it. Yeah. That'd be great. <laughs> he, he would just sit there and listen to the banter. Yeah, <laughs> I think so. <laughs> That's that is fantastic. So, well, Paul, I want to say thank you for coming on tonight and joining me. me here for this quick little hour smallmouth fall tip talk. And I look forward. I always look forward to seeing your posts come through my feed, especially in the winter time because of the giant steelhead fishery that the Lower Niagara is. It's, it's um, about to pop. It's about it's, to go off. You know, one of these days, I'm I've actually never fished on the lower for steelhead from a boat. If I can scrounge up somebody to come over, I'm going to come over and fish with Let's you. Let's go. You'll, you'll love it, man. I'll teach so, you a bunch. We'll have a laugh. Yeah. If we're lucky, we'll catch a handful of fish. Right? Yeah. I, I don't even care about the fish. I just want to learn how to do it for some reason. I'll, you, I'll never you, be down there in my bass boat, but yeah, like. I see, I see an aluminum boat in your future. That's what I see. Uh, I'm going to call it I'm, now. I don't know. Like I had the chance <laughs> to buy one. I did. I, I legit had a chance to buy one. And I was like, nah, I'm getting a fiberglass bass. I'm going to call it now. Give him three years. Three years. Yeah. I'm going to go. Have a... It's tough to say. <laughs> it's like, 
Like I have this edge that I just absolutely love tournament fishing. And that's like part of like the whole dynamic of the serious angler, right? Is the tournament fishing side. But I love guiding as well. And it's kind of crazy. And I'm, I guess I'm in like a dynamic spot that all of my clients to this point, I think come with me because I run a bass boat. Like they're literally like, I won't go with you if you buy an aluminum boat. That's, like, because there's a diamond team. dozen. I'm like, oh I, man, I I get it, man. I grew, I was really <laughs> lucky. My dad always has ba- had bass boats growing up, and and, yeah. and the speed and the way they fish, the way they handle. Like, I, I get it. It's it's awesome. But you know, it's it's really like to each his own, right? Yeah. Nothing and, wrong and, with bass boats. They're great. In a perfect world, I would have both. You know, like okay. a 19 foot <laughs> aluminum boat for when yeah. it gets a little bit rougher to stay a little bit drier, and then I'd have yeah. my speed demon bass boat and. Before I bought the big one, when I started having issues with the Triton, I actually thought, I was like, when I get this boat paid off, I might just buy an aluminum boat because I can have both. But I'm like, I don't have any room for it at this moment in my life. So that would have been a really yeah. dumb bank. You, you, got lots, you got lots of lots of time. Yeah. You'll so figure, we'll see. 10 years, yeah. maybe 10 years, I'll have an aluminum yeah. boat. So, but if I'm buying a glass boat, it's going to be a bass boat. I won't buy a deep V glass. There's... It does the same thing my bass boat does, and I can't fish it in the winter. So eh, we'll see. But anyways, thank you again for your time here, Paul. You're welcome. Thanks for and, having uh, me. Go get some sleep. I'm sure you got to be up early again tomorrow because you am, probably have another guide trip. 3.30 so, a.m. comes hey, early. That's, tomorrow's that's my, my day off, so I'm sleeping in. Enjoy, man. Enjoy. <laughs> I hope yes. everybody liked it. Thanks for having me. Yeah, and we will chat soon. Okay. Later, Thanks, friend. everyone. Have a good Bye night. Now. Bye. All right, so thanks everyone for tuning in for this awesome episode, chatting here with Paul on some late fall smallmouth fishing. And be on the lookout for our episode on Friday. We have Gary Adkins coming on to discuss his AOY from the TMPFL, so the National Professional Fishing League. And we have some episodes lined up for next week, which you'll hear about soon. And also be on the lookout for the next Lure Lab podcast episode that drops Saturday morning. But until next time, we will see you guys later. Well, that was an awesome show. Hope you guys enjoyed it. If you can and your app allows it, please leave us a rating and review. It really helps us get seen more which allows us to access more time and more variables to be able to bring to the show to make it better for you guys. So hope you enjoyed it. And if you did and you liked some of the things we talked about in this episode and want to check out our show partners, all of that is in every single show description. You can click down there. It's got all of our discount codes, all of our links to our show partners where you guys can go and support the people that support this show and help us make this show happen. And of course, this show does not happen without you guys. You guys know we appreciate you. You're the Sears Sanger fam. You're the reason we're here. Appreciate y'all, and we'll see y'all on the next one.